0: As we met in Summertown this morning for the open-air service of Churches Together in North Oxford, there were numerous people who passed by on the other side of the road, caught the bus as we were gathering. As we meet here in this quiet place to journey again through the hours of Jesus' crucifixion around us in numerous houses are passers-by those who wag their tongues, those who mock, those who know not the drama that is going on at Golgotha. We look at the cross through the eyes of those who passed by.
1: Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross, if you are the Son of God. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His spirit.
0: We love a public crucifixion. Seeing those dreadful people getting their just rewards, knowing that our city has got rid of a few more useless people, well, it makes a nice day out, doesn't it? And you can't help but admire the professionalism of the Roman soldiers. Of course, we, we don't like them, but they know how to crucify someone. They know how to put on a good show, I can tell you. They don't make mistakes. Nobody comes down from a Roman cross. Of course, the two thieves were not of much interest to us, but this Jesus. He really deserved it. He really fancied himself, he did. He got the comeuppance that he deserved, didn't he? He had built quite a reputation for himself with his preaching and claims of healing. Rubbish, of course. Tricks. Nobody gets healed, really. This life is all there is. You'd better make the best of it. All that talk about another kingdom. The kingdom of God. Who's he kidding? We said, if you're so clever, come on down. Of course he couldn't. Just like everyone else. And the end he proved it, of course. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even he knew it was a disaster, the whole thing. Mark our words. You'll hear no more... Of Jesus of Nazareth, this story has been well and truly put to bed. That's the end of him and his followers. Father, we thank you that in a world of cynicism and unbelief, in a world of secularism, and materialism, somehow, by your grace, you have opened our eyes to see and our ears to hear what really happened on that first Good Friday. We recognize before you this evening that we are barraged by the mockery and the unbelief, the open hostility often very sophisticated, of those who feel deeply threatened by our belief that Jesus is the Son of God and there is salvation in no other name under heaven. We are humble before you because we do not deserve to believe this or to know it any more than they do. We are no better, in fact, many of us are worse but you have given us the grace to believe, like some of those gathered at that cross, desperately hanging on to their trust in Jesus, desperately hoping that this salvation would make a difference to the world and to their lives. And Father, we thank you that it makes all the difference to our lives. We thank you that understanding that the Lord Jesus died in our place means that we walk in forgiveness. We walk in healing. We walk in hope. We walk in a way that makes sense of the world, that you are at work in our world, that your sovereign purposes are working out, that you know uh, the end of suffering and where it will lead. And now in the silence of these few minutes, Father, we cry out to you for those that we love and care for who are passers-by, who either don't notice what's happening, have lost interest in it, grown apathetic to it, who are hostile to these world-changing events. We pray for those that we love who pass by and do not believe. Spend a few minutes praying for them in silence. So far in this two hours of waiting at the cross, we have looked at the cross to the eyes of men, various men, some believing, some unbelieving, some cynical, some searching. Now, as the drama draws to a climax, we look at the cross to the eyes of women, great women, women of great faith. First, Mary Magdalene.
1: Many women were there, watching from a distance. They'd followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how Jesus' body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment.
0: All my life I have been abused and mistreated by men. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm all innocent and the victim all the time. I know I could have made better decisions at various times of my life. I'm not making excuses. But the brutal fact is that until I met Jesus, my life was a total mess. And in order somehow to survive, I had made myself available to men. I hated myself, and I hated men, and I hated life. And that is true for many of the women around the cross today. We all have our stories to tell. We all have what is now called baggage. Even Mary, Jesus' mother, struggled when Joseph died. She loved him so much, you know, he must have been that rare thing, a decent man. To say that we were second-class citizens at that time would be incorrect. We were much lower on the pecking order than that. Some of us were prostitutes. Some divorced for no particular reason other than the husband got bored with us. Some were widows. Some were unmarried and some had horrible illnesses like the lady with the bleeding whom Jesus healed. Some had lost children or brothers. Mary and Martha here, they had lost Lazarus but Jesus raised him. Imagine how they feel watching the one who had brought back their brother from death now being crucified. But this is my story. I had nothing till I met Jesus. My life was worthless and desperate. But he made me feel like a woman again. More than that, he made me feel like a human being again. He gave me back my dignity He gave me purpose. He gave me a reason to get up in the morning, looking after him and the disciples, coping with washing their their food. You can imagine they were all pretty hopeless at that sort of thing. I'm an example of that phenomenon. Love the sinner and hate the sin. I know Jesus really disapproved of my lifestyle when I met him. I could see it in his eyes. Not so much judgment as sadness, that I was so lost. I do not condemn you, he used to say to people like me. I do not condemn you, everyone else did. Go and sin no more. Of course, not everyone changed, but I did. And I joined his followers, best decision I ever made. But now, here we are at Golgotha. I can hardly bear to look up at the cross. Is every hope dashed? Can it really all be over? Let's pray. a broken world, we pray for those who are damaged by uh, the cruelty, uh, particularly of domestic cruelty. Uh, newspapers recently have been full of stories of men who have killed their partners and their children, and we see this brokenness all around us. It's not new, it was Mary Magden's experience. So we pray for those who are the victims of violence, domestic violence in particular. We pray for those who are raped and abused. Pray for those who work with the victims of rape, for those who run restorative justice groups. Pray for those who look after the children who are left behind when violence breaks out in the home. Children have to be taken into care or whatever it might be. Just in the stillness and quiet of this moment, as we consider the extraordinary experience that Mary Magdalene had of restoration and salvation, discovery that a man loved and respected her, treated her as an equal, took her into his confidence and gave her a reason for living. We thank God for the equality that the gospel has brought into our society, equality of men and women. We confess that that equality is often not, um, it's not protected. As women have been mistreated, even the name of Christianity. But let's pray that, that we can do better as a church, that we can do better as individuals, that God would forgive us when we get it wrong, but that we would model to the world a better way of men and women living together as equals, children of God. In Christ, there is no male or female. As we pray for women who have been abused and beaten and hurt, mistreated, Let's pray for family life in our nation, a moment of quiet. So we come to look at the cross through the eyes of the person who must, must have found it harder than anyone else, Mary, the mother of Jesus.
1: Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home.
0: If you have not seen your child die, it might be very hard for you to understand. There is no more terrible human experience than losing a child you love. I don't mind whether it's at birth, as perhaps it has been for some of you, or a child's illness or a terrible accident, or maybe you have lost a child who has become an adult. That is my experience. Jesus is only 33, and what am I? Wow, nearly 50. How time flies. Bad enough when Joseph died, I still miss him so much, but this is really a hundred times worse. I feel Jesus' pain deep in my own body. His cries are my cries. I feel like I am there with him on the cross. If I could take his place, I would. But I cannot help thinking that this had to be I feel strange about that. It is almost as if God has always prepared me for this moment. I recall the events of his birth as if it was yesterday, even though I've had more children since then. There was the journey to Bethlehem, that awful stable, and then the visitors, those lovely simple shepherds who said he was the Messiah the exotic wise men who worshipped him and gave us those weird gifts well the gold was useful when we went to Egypt then his childhood so normal and yet he was so special so strangely wise we nearly lost him in Jerusalem when he was 12 you remember that I pondered on all these things over the years and I tried to make sense of it he told me again and again that this would happen he, but he told me not to worry because it had to be like this. But seeing him on the cross, it tears my heart out. And then in the middle of it all, he thinks of my welfare. He turns to dear saintly John and asks him to look after me. And I know he will. I know Jesus is only my son, sort of. I know he is the son of God. I knew that from the moment Gabriel came to tell me I was having a baby. But that does not make watching him die any easier. Perhaps you're wondering how I feel as I watch this. Perhaps you're wondering how I cope. Perhaps you're wondering how you would cope or have coped in such a situation. Well, I'll tell you, I just cannot believe this is the end of it. I don't know what the end of it will be, but I just do not believe that it finishes here at Golgotha. We pray, Father, for those who have lost children. We pray for your comfort. We know that that grief never ends. We know that the scars are always there. We thank you that you understand. We thank you that you care. We thank you that somehow people get through it. And we thank you for the example of this godly woman, Mary. We thank you that, down the years, she has been a role model for millions and millions of people. We thank you that she is an inspiration. We thank you that she believed the promises that were given to her. We thank you that she thought about it, pondered it, held it in our heart. And followed the Lord Jesus all the way to the cross and then to the tomb to the empty grave and the experience of resurrection. We pray that we might be faithful as she has been faithful. And we pray also for those who are parents especially in our church. We pray for those who are mothers As they care for their children, as they seek to combine that care, that unique experience of giving birth to a child uh, with the call to Christian discipleship and service, as they balance motherhood with discipleship and with work. And we thank you for the Christian women of our church. And we pray for those who are fathers. We pray that you would help us to be godly. That you would help us to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. That you would help us to bring up our children in the the fear and nurture of the Lord that you would help us to understand what it means to be both equal with our wives, but also called to give some spiritual leadership when it's appropriate. Help us to work that out in a society that struggles with some of the ideas. We pray that you would strengthen the families of our church, of our city, and of our nation. We pray in troubled times for a real understanding, a Biblical understanding of what Christian marriage is, of what it means to be a Christian man and a Christian woman, a Christian husband and a Christian wife. And we pray that we would all live like Mary in the shadow of the cross, knowing that we need forgiveness, not least because we mess it up as parents, as husbands and wives. We need to know that forgiveness. We need to know that you will always accept us, that you will always forgive us. We need to know that you kind of entrust us to one another, that we will look after each other as John was to look after Mary. That that is what Christian support and fellowship means, that we're not alone. We also recognize Uh, Father before you here at the foot of the cross that there are many questions that we don't find it easy to answer. We don't find it easy to answer the why questions. Why has this happened to us? Why have suffering come our way and not somebody else's way? We know that there are some things that we will only know fully in our future, but we pray today as we go out shortly into a world that is often turning its back on the cross, walking away from Calvary as if nothing happened on that day, we pray that we would be transformed as Mary Magdalene and Mary, Jesus' mother, must have been transformed by the experience, not just of the cross, of course, but also of the resurrection that follows. We pray that we might be forgiven and resurrected people living in our community, loving, sacrificing, giving, even when we're struggling to answer some of the questions. We pray for our own families and for our role within our families in silence. As the drama draws to a conclusion, two people stood by the cross and dealt with the body of Jesus, Nicodemus and Joseph.
1: (coughs) As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. It was with Pilate's permission he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices
0: Don't make the mistake of thinking that we were heroes that day. We knew Jesus was who he said he was. I, Nicodemus, knew from the time we had that conversation in the night. And he told me that no amount of keeping the Torah would get me to heaven. Because like everyone else, I had a blackened heart of sin. He said I needed to be born again, born of the spirit. As you probably remember, I was completely baffled at first. I'm embarrassed to recall that I mumbled something about the impossibility of re-entering one's mother's womb. Perhaps you've had that feeling when you wished that you had kept your mouth shut. But Jesus was very patient with me. He said that God loved me, Nicodemus, so much that he had sent his only son into the world so that I, Nicodemus, would not perish, but have eternal life. Imagine having that said directly to you by Jesus. It made perfect sense to me. So for a while now I have known Jesus really is the Messiah. I know my Bible, and I've gone back to read it in a new way, seeing that it is all about him i give you an example. I read Isaiah 53 the other day.
1: Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
0: You see, I know now that this terrible event that we have just witnessed had to happen. The Messiah had to be a suffering servant. I suppose I'd never really understood how serious sin is and how angry it makes our holy God. I see that now. There had to be punishment for man's rebellion. Justice demanded it, but how could God act justly and lovingly? Humanity deserves to be be wiped out. I deserve hell, I know I do. But what I've just witnessed is my salvation. He has been forsaken so that God will not forsake me. He has gone into hell in my place. God has demonstrated his love for me in this. While I was still a sinner, Christ has died for me. I've got my head around it theologically. Until now, I have just not had the guts to say so publicly. At least I plucked up enough courage to go to Pilate with Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph is also a believer in Jesus, and we're going to bury him together. Joseph is my prayer partner. We've been reading the Bible together for a while now and trying to make sense of it in the light of Jesus coming into our lives. Perhaps in due course, when it all calms down, I will share what we've discovered with Peter and the others. I hope that they'll find it helpful. We Sanhedrin members have time for that sort of study. We're sort of like dons at a university, I suppose. So it's Friday evening, and we will bury him very carefully. But somehow, deep in my bones, I know there is more to come. Of course there is one forgotten man, Judas of Iscariot.
1: When Judas who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me.
0: I am the man who never got to the cross. What a terrible mistake. Don't make my mistake. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you this Good Friday and this Easter time and remain with you always. Amen.